Thanks for joining us for Journey Living with Shannon Meyer. Journey Living is a radio broadcast featuring the Bible teaching of Shannon Meyer, whose passion is to help women walk with God through the trials and challenges of life. Now, here's Shannon. How many of you often feel as though you are the buoy being tossed about out in the sea? Feeling like Tom Hanks in Castaway, floating aimlessly amongst the chaos, and Wilson of volleyball is your only lifeline for sanity. Oftentimes, we can be delusional from the storm that has come up out of nowhere. You'll try to catch your breath, but realize it could only be moments until the next wave comes barreling down to take you back under for another roll through the ocean. For some, you have become amazing surfers, but not because you love the sport, but because you have had no other option but to learn to ride the waves or to be taken under. I get it. We were thrown into the tsunami wave of cancer, and I have been trying to stabilize myself ever since. There are some days I surf and possibly can even sail, but then there are many others when I'm simply floundering. For those of you who have anchored yourself to whatever you can for a lifeline during your storms, you come to find out that many things eventually give way and come loose and leave you swimming for your own life. I'm a realist, and I'm old enough to know that churching it up and giving a religious answer is not always the greatest advice when you are clinging on to life. Romans 8.28 never feels the greatest when the ground has given way beneath your feet, or when your husband's walked out, or your kids have announced their love is for someone else of the same sex, or that your job is now obsolete, or anything else that leaves you breathless. It's hard to believe all things will work out for our good when all things look really bad. But there was someone else in the Bible who looked at life and what God was saying and felt like all hope was lost. It was Abraham. Hebrews 6 verse 13 through 19 says, For when God made the promise to Abraham, he swore by himself, or as the Message Bible says, he backed it to the hilt since he had no greater by whom to swear, meaning God put his own reputation on the line. Verse 14 says, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. And so having patiently waited, he realized the promise in the miraculous birth of Isaac as a pledge of what was to come from God. Indeed, men swear an oath by one greater than themselves and with them in all disputes. The oath serves as confirmation of what has been said or as an end of a dispute. In the same way, God in his desire to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable nature of his purpose intervened and guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things, his promise and his oath, in which is impossible for God to lie, we who fled to him for refuge would have strong and encouragement and indwelling strength to hold tightly to the hope set before us. Verse 19, this hope This confident assurance we have as an anchor of the soul, it cannot slip and cannot break down under whatever pressure bears upon it, a safe and steadfast hope that enters within the veil of the heavenly temple, that most holy place in which the very presence of God dwells. You see, when God promises, he gives his rock solid guarantee. There's nothing in this world that we can hold on to with this assurance. And because his word cannot be changed, his promise is likewise unchangeable. Verse 18 in the Message Bible says, We who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. 
It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline, reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God, where Jesus is running on ahead of us and has taken up his permanent post as high priest for us. Isn't this some seriousness that we can hold on to? I don't know about you, friends, but I don't want to waste my time hoping in something that is uncertain or I can't trust. When the sea of life is raging and we are in trouble, whether large or small, Jesus is the only place to go and take cover. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline, reaching past all appearances to the very presence of God. How many of you today would love to pass through all the garbage the world has to offer and literally be face to face with Jesus? No commercials or false pretenses, no fake news, no fluff, just Jesus. I know for the leg of this journey, I can't waste the time for my family or myself to run anywhere else but to him. Jesus truly is the only one that will sustain us, who will heal us, that will help us, that will hold us when we no longer can hold on. Imagine if we were to take that promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you like Abraham did with his promise of being the father of more descendants than that were of the seashore. Now, take that very situation in your life where you didn't know what to do or hang on to and ask God to help you. When we do, I believe we don't only survive, but we can thrive as well. So how is it that we bounce back, become resilient, and come back from the sea of life that only wants to take us under every time a new wave of circumstance floats by? Well, today I want to talk to you about six spiritual truths that are worth remembering when the seas are at the toughest. If you have a pen or paper, you might want to jot these down. Number one, rest, regroup, or reconsider. Friends, we've got to take time away. Be still, period. This is by far the hardest thing for me to do, but I'm getting better at it. Here's the thing. If you don't settle yourself, God will. He is not beyond putting us in a sick bed, a prison cell, or even a lonely and desperate time in the wilderness to get our attention. Think about it. When a lifeguard comes to rescue a potentially drowning person, what is the first thing they do after they've swam out to them and given them the flotation device? They lay them on their back and ask them to stay calm, to rest in the arms of the one who is rescuing them. Fighting against them only makes things all the worse. You potentially could make both of you drown if you keep resisting. That's what we do when we don't take the time to be still and allow God to help us and bring us to a safe place. Just like the drowning victim, we only focus on the bad. We know we're way in over our head. We can no longer make it on our own. We can't touch. So we think we must do something desperate. We are asked to lay quietly while someone else takes us to safety. Are you kidding me? What if they don't make it? Then what? We both die? And while all the while we are in very capable hands and all they ask us to do with them instead of fight against them is to lay there, to be still. It won't be long and you'll be taken to safety. This is the best time to regroup and recharge. Take a breath, reconfigure, meaning check your losses and reevaluate what you still have then begin again. 
When we are anchored to Jesus, no matter what is taken from us, we can rest assured he will sustain us. Rarely are we ever able to make rational decisions when we are in the midst of the chaos and storms. Taking time to pause will help us to catch our breath and hang on a little longer. Number two, revive what is salvageable. Like I said earlier, we may have to reevaluate, which means we may have to revive what is broken or lost or seems to be out of sorts. Sometimes there are situations that are complete in total loss, but others are when we just may have to get a different perspective, gather the broken pieces and make a new. Take a stained glass creation. Many times they are fragmented or non-symmetrical shapes that don't look very fitting for any project. But when the artist has an eye for making it into a beautiful piece of art, Soon the creation comes to life and nothing but beauty abounds. Isaiah 43, 19 says, see, meaning look or watch. I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God may very likely be up to something that you have had no idea about. He may be gathering all of your broken pieces and planning on making something brand new for all the world to see. Number three, reconnect emotionally, spiritually, physically, and relationally. When we suffer loss or we are beyond exhausted from being thrown by life circumstances, one of the first things we want to do is go and hide. It's just easier that way. No one to bother you, no one to ask you 50 million questions, and especially no one to hurt you again. When life is at its roughest, we often want to run far, far away, just like David did when Saul was fast on his tail. David was very worn out and afraid and found it easier to run and hide in the caves to rid himself of the constant barrage of attacks that came from his arch enemy at any time. The problem with going alone is that we tend to disassociate with everyone else too, including God. It's imperative to stay connected not only to Jesus as our anchor in the storms of life, but also to stay connected with others. Did you know what the very first thing that was bad in the beginning of time was? It wasn't sin. No, it was that man was alone. Think about the greatest tool that Satan has been using during this season of a pandemic. It is to isolate us, to keep us separate and feeling very vulnerable. Satan knows just how destructive that he can be when he keeps you hiding and going it alone. Think about that swimming again. Isn't the best rule of thumb to always take a buddy? Well, sure it is. Imagine if something went wrong and you were all by yourself. Who would help you? No one. But if you had just one person, then your chances of survival go up drastically. Staying connected emotionally, spiritually, and physically is vital to being anchored in the storm. John 15 verse 5 through 7 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you'll remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
How can we go wrong when we stick with Jesus? Even being with someone else is better than going it alone. Ecclesiastes 4 verses 9 through 10 says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Number four, refire dreams, passions, or beliefs. I believe one of the hardest things to do when we've had the wind knocked out of us or life has left us breathless is to start again. Where do you start when you can barely put one foot in front of the other, let alone an arm or a leg? Refiring is difficult. Have you ever had to start a fire without a match or a lighter? I have. This past summer, some friends and I went on a survival type camping trip. We went out for the weekend for a getaway to see if we could survive without the modern day supplies that we so enjoy while we're camping. Most of us call it glamping because we take everything but the kitchen sink to survive for a simple night in the woods. But if you're a follower of Pinterest, they can even teach you how to take a sink out there if you'd like. But back to those basic survival skills, my friend and I were put to the test by our husbands to see if we could get our weekend fire going without the help of any of the modern fire starters. We weren't allowed to use a match or lighter or my all-time favorite, gasoline to help ignite our heat and be a cooking source for us for the weekend. It was a piece of flint or a striker. We worked diligently to get those sparks to catch on to anything flammable. We used dried needles from a pine tree or, and leaves and sticks, anything that could help us not going home looking like weaklings and that we couldn't survive if we had to. We struck metal to the flint. We blew with each spark and waved the air in as many ways as possible to become valiant women of the forest. But I won't lie, it took work. It took time and it took know-how. Many of us have nothing but a mere ember that is about to go out for good. But God wants to use his holy breath to breathe life back into your journey. He doesn't want us giving up and giving out on him. No, that's what Satan wants. God says, keep pressing, keep running, keep praying, keep believing that I have good plans for you and blowing on the fire that I have put down deep into your soul. But many of us are just one more gust of wind away and we'll be done for. But God says something differently, friend. He says, keep going. Psalms 46 verse one through three says, God is our refuge and strength and ever present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Listen, friends, God is for us right there. Keep fanning the flames to ignite what God has placed deep inside you, no matter how small that flame may be. Number five, rebuild, make a plan, count the costs and find a way. Sometimes when we're hanging on to dear life, you will need to do everything and count your losses and move on. This is for someone here today listening. I've had to sit down at times and have my own come to Jesus meeting. That could be in a business deal that went wrong or with people who turned out not to be so good for me or even a spiritual connection that was not God's best. All are very hard to swallow, especially when you live a life where you want to please God. But there are losses all along the way, and God may ask you to let them go. 
Sometimes that means you'll have to begin again, rebuild. Sometimes that means to take whatever is left and create new. One of my all-time favorite stories in the Bible is in the book of Nehemiah. He was a faithful servant of God, but he knew the walls of Jerusalem were in shambles. So he took the time to assess and made a plan to move on and rebuild. He was thoughtful in his assessment. He prayed and cried out to God. He was also strategic in his dealings. I believe God is the same. Nowhere does God do things randomly. God is a God of order, and we can see that all throughout the Bible. God is a planner and has set things before him that he wants to bring forth. I think we would be wise if we would do the same. Sometimes the most difficult thing to do when we want to rebuild is to let go. There have been people and situations in my own life that I could barely stand to let them go from my hands. It's almost like they were the lifeline that I held on to with all my might, thinking that I couldn't live without them. But remember, God asks us to hold everything lightly. He wants us to be a conduit, not a reservoir where things cannot easily flow in and out of. Do you remember the part in the movie of Castaway where Tom Hanks lets go of his trusty friend Wilson, the one who had been with him throughout this terrible ordeal? It was a heart-wrenching scene, but just as heart-wrenching as it is in yours and my life. But God may ask you to let go of someone or something so that you can take hold of him. Remember, we only have one hand on each arm. That means we can only hold on to two things at one time. If you're being tossed in the storm, your chances of holding on to anything of value are slim because you will have to hold on to your life that is anchored down for your stability and also use that arm and other hand to help you swim or help you stay stable. Nothing much can be held on to unless we are first able to let go of what holds us back. Like I said, in my own life, I've had to let go of things that I thought were so valuable to me, but God had taught me otherwise. I need to let go of them so I could grasp onto him or I would never have made it. And that has been one of the hardest lessons I've ever had to learn. But if I'm going to rebuild all that is lost, I will have to be like Nehemiah when his enemies came against him. It's found in Nehemiah 4, verses 17 through 18. It says, there those who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held on to a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. Nehemiah knew they were limited in what they could do with two hands. So as they rebuilt, they used the best options they had available. They had a weapon in one hand to fight off the enemy and a tool in the other to rebuild what God had called them to. There was not room for anything else. So you too will have to be intentional for what God has called you to rebuild. And finally, friend, as I close today, number six, rejoice because you are now resilient. Believers who are resilient never stop trusting in God, even when things don't go their way. Through the severest of storms, they continue to serve the Lord and honor his name before others. People often look and wonder, how can they still serve God joyfully after all their trials? It's because love never gives up. God never gives up on us and we are never to give up on God. 
Resilient Christians give God the glory after disappointments in the storm and after the storm. I think Job has said it best. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. After all that had happened to Job, he still rejoiced in the Lord. I believe this is what will make or break us in our faith walk. If you can keep your eyes on Jesus and anchored to him, no matter how large the waves get, you will make it. When we sing his praises, that is the fuel to nearly obsolete fire that is about to be distinguished. Rejoicing is what gives us the stamina to keep on keeping on and to let go of the things that he has removed from our hands and to rebuild with what he has placed in the other. The choice is yours, friend. You may be clinging to that buoy of life that feels as though it's about to give way. But I can promise you this. If you're hanging on to Jesus, you will never be left out to sea. He is the author and the finisher of the storms. As Psalm 107 verse 25 says, for he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. Or as the message Bible says, with the word he called up the wind an ocean storm with towering waves. And again, in Psalms 89, verse six, you rule the swelling of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. God knows which wave you are on. He sees the next wave that comes to steal your breath, but he is also commanding all of them. So don't be frightened of the surge of the waves, friend. God is with us. He not only helps us walk on water, he will keep us tethered to him as long as we hold out for him. Thanks for listening to Journey Living with Shannon Meyer. If you would like to hear this program again or request Shannon as a speaker, visit journeyliving.org. 